Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. We're studying in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and we'll continue our study there, uh, picking up in verse 12. What we studied last week was, remember, by following Jesus' example of humility, we can find true unity. And one of the ways in which we have come up with as a team, as a church body, of showing our unity through following Jesus' example of humility, has been our blessing bags. And I cannot help but try to be, like, really calm at this moment, and you know how excited I can get and yell. You all have done an amazing job at this. This has been like, wow, look at that. That's like Sam's Club already. We would like to be able to get, our goal is to make 25 of these blessing bags to hand out to the homeless coming in a couple weeks in June. And we're looking for a place to do that. We probably have a good idea where that's going to be. But we are going to meet here at the church building to pray for that and to do this. And you're like, why are you starting a sermon by talking about last week's conclusion? Because these are all tied together. Because last week we studied the big, it's called the Christ hymn. It's the song that's written in the Philippians about Jesus humbling himself, taking on the robe of flesh like any ordinary man, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Paul today is going to take that idea and say, hey, y'all need to do this. And he's going to give us two case studies. But we're going to do it, and we're going to illustrate it, with our blessing bags. So if you turn to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to find this morning that we must be united in active obedience. It's one thing to learn. It's another thing to do. Active obedience. What does it mean to follow Jesus' example? Look in Philippians chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 12. Therefore... See the word therefore? The word therefore is therefore because Paul just got done talking about Jesus. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Obedience in action. Therefore, be obedient. Obedience in these verses is literally, the word means applied hearing. To hear and do. Applied hearing. 
Obedience has always been part of God's relationship with his people. Through a tender relationship fostered on his missionary journeys, Paul commends the Philippians for their obedience. Even while under his watchful eye or when outside the range of his leadership, one writer said, Obedience when no authorities are visible is an excellent evidence of a heart that desires to truly submit to authority. How do you work when the boss isn't watching? Do the kids obey because you're sitting there watching them? From a heart of obedience, of a heart that's truly submitted to authority, will do that whether it's someone's watching or not. Remember that Jesus' obedience to the Father set our pattern for unity through humility last week. So therefore, when it comes to working out what their salvation means, the Philippians must intentionally pursue demonstrating their status as those who are following Jesus Christ. So Paul says, hey, listen. Listen, apply. Applied learning, applied hearing is obedience. Do it in the sight when you're out of sight, and get ready to demonstrate it. It makes real good sense in the workplace, doesn't it? But somehow we open our Bible and like, no, 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 I don't like that part. I can be whatever I want to be in my religion, my own religion, and I don't have to stand up to any standard. Well, Paul has set the standard in Jesus Christ himself by Philippians 1 through 11, which we covered last week. So now he's like, hey, now that you know this, apply it. Be obedient. In my sight, out of my sight, and get ready to demonstrate it. How does he say to demonstrate it? Look at verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He gives the command to work out. The word here, work out, comes from an agricultural context. If you are a farmer, or you, how many besides Pastor Michael do gardening? Okay, garden. Who, who puts stuff in the ground and hope it comes up and it usually dies? That's me. Okay? Work out. You're doing all this work into the ground with your eye that what's going to happen. If I plant corn seeds, what am I hoping is going to work as I'm working on the soil? What do I hope to see? Corn. Okay? So he says, work out your salvation. Work out what it means to have your relationship with Jesus with an eye toward the crop. What is the crop? Good. Glad you asked that question. It's active obedience to him and what we've been talking about. A relationship with Jesus or having your salvation is never passive. You never just drift in becoming more like Jesus. Jesus commanded us to what? We read it every week. Go and make disciples. And trained them to be trained to do the work of ministry, to do the work of serving others. So with an eye toward what this word means, how is God's word taking root in your heart, and what do you have an eye toward for the crop to be? If you're working out your salvation, what this means is you're planting God's word in your heart. You want to be active obedience to him. What then is your eye toward the crop? What is the fruitful outcome of that? This last week, what was yours? Think about it inside. This is the hard question Paul is writing. Now, the really cool part, remember when I was talking with the kids? The really cool part 
is verse 13. He says, hey, now get to work with an eye toward the crop in verse 12 and verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's actually God who is being proactive. He's waiting for you to be proactive in what he's planning in your heart so he can get behind you and say, go, 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 go. That fires him up. Why, how do I know that? To, for his will and good pleasure. What makes God smile? When you get to work and he gets to work with you. We studied some of this this morning in 1 Thessalonians. What made Paul so excited about what he had done in Thessalonica? Well, you're doing it. You're doing it. I'm so excited you're doing it. My disciples are discipling. God himself is in heaven saying, okay, get ready to work out your salvation. Put your eye toward the crop. And, oh, look, they're doing it. Boom, now, Holy Spirit, boom, get to them. It's like hooking a dragster to your little go-kart. You're pedaling, little kid on a pedal tractor. And you strap a 5,000-horsepower tractor up behind him and say, go, son. You're waiting for the kid to push the pedals. God gives a command, work on it. And then when you do, he's the wind in the sails to make it propel. Isn't that awesome? We have a God who expects obedience to what he says, and he says, when you do, I will be active. Both parties are active here. Just like the kids with the couch. In this last week, in this coming week, what has God laid on your heart that you, the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to get out of your comfort zone and do this. I want you to follow me in active obedience in doing this. Whatever that is, blank, fill in a line. I know one of them is for our uh, blessing bags eventually. But God's like, I'm, I'm waiting for obedience. I'm, you're, we're going to work on this. What is your couch that you're sitting on? The guy says, I'm going to do that. But here's the other cool thing. Not only does God get fired up and stoked up about this, so does those who want to walk alongside you in doing it. Want to cheerlead. Want to get beside you. We're going to cover more of that in detail later. But what is your couch? What is your obedience in action? So verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Work out, and you're going to shine. First, you're going to shine because you do not murmur. The word here, murmur, literally is... Okay. Well, you've been around those people, and you get into a group, and there's that low rumble in the corner that you kind of hear or not hear. I'm sure you hear this every weekend. There's somebody in the corner that's like... No. You know, when I worked in the prison system, man, you'd say, you make an announcement, and then you could literally hear a murmur. It's not identifiable because the monster of the mob likes to not be identified, but the murmur. Go clean your room. Adults do the same thing, but they do a little bit better job of hiding it. That's why we read in Exodus this morning. Why was God going to kill the people? And Moses was like, no, 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 hold on, because they had murmur. They just rescued them and brought them into, out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and they're complaining. Now, grumble, on the other hand, is my opinion matters more than yours, and we're going to debate it in public for my benefit. 
That is to grumble. Murmurs behind the scenes, to grumble is, hey, we're going to do, here's, here's an idea. Leadership brings it out, or somebody in your team, or your ministry partner says, hey, I really want to do this. And you're like, no, I want to debate you on that because I'm better at debating, and I want my preferences to win here. It's not being afraid of sharing your opinion. It's doing so in a way that doesn't benefit somebody else in the group. This Deb's looking at me like, that didn't make any sense. Remember, serving is not about you. And Paul has touched on this earlier. It says, hey, when you do something and serve, it's for the benefit of the other without expecting anything in return, which is kind of the definition for love. You're going to love and serve with somebody. You're going to value them higher than yourself. And you're going to say, when we work together, what is the common goal and how can we work toward that for the benefit of the common goal, which is other people? A grumble is, I want my way or the highway, and this is the way we're going to do it, or I'm going to pick up my toys and go home. Paul says, do all of that. Work out your salvation. And first of all, don't grumble. And people... How many of you get? How many of you know people that you have to limit their time on Fox News because if they walk more than thirty minutes, they get upset and grumble. I mean, we get live injection of grumble and, and murmuring twenty four seven through feed, podcast, you know, just whatever's on your computer, your phone, your radio. We get that live feed right straight into our veins. So when we go through life, don't have drama for drama's sake and just to mumble continuously about how bad everyone else is and how bad everything is. So Paul says, don't do any of that. But you're going, in not being like that, what is going to happen? You're going to look at verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Because Paul is going to talk here as a leader to those he's training. And look at what he says. You're going to shine by actively holding forth the Word of God, God's Word, your Bible, living out what is taught, what you have studied, and what you have applied. You're going to shine by being proud of the work of those who are training or discipling you to do your specific work of ministry. You're going to shine by cheerleading those competing in the long race of equipping people to do the work of ministry. Shining by encouraging those who do the labor, the hard toil, the exhausting effort of working with other people so other people can use their spiritual gifts. You're going to shine by applauding how those leaders have poured their lives into other people to fertilize their gifts as they sacrifice for their faith. And all of that, they want to rejoice. So these are what the shining leaders are going to do. First off, how are you going to shine in your crooked and twisted generation? By not murmuring and grumbling, okay? Life is, I don't like it when somebody wants to define what I'm good at by what I don't do. So Paul gives you a little bit of, hey, don't do this. But here, instead, do this, and you can be light shining in a dark place because our world is kind of what it is. So how do you shine? You're looking for leaders who are doing this. This is hard to preach this stuff. Because you're all looking at me like, hey, how else do you do that? Okay, you're right. But the hard thing about preaching from the Word. So these are the shining leaders. 
they do all this. So the shining disciples, what do they do? They're holding on to the word of life, literally grasping it, their Bible, their word, their time with God in his word to know truth that is true and how to apply it. They're proud of the work that others are doing in their life. They can say it's not pride that's really all that bad. It's pride to say, look what God has done by being that engine behind me and what has happened. We can cheerlead other people and say, man, Look at these people that God has taken in this spiritual journey and has equipped them with his power to say, wow, that guy used to never ever want to talk to anybody, and now he's out talking to people. You can be proud of the work. You can be proud that they're shining and holding on to the word of life. you're, You're looking at them, and you're looking at how they're cheerleading those who are running the long race of doing ministry with people. Equipping people to do the work of ministry is hard, long work. You can pretty much do things in life, no matter where, better by yourself. If you want to get it done right, do it yourself. Because you know how to do it, right? But if you're training somebody else, you're equipping them, you're discipling them into doing what it is. If it's cooking, if it's cleaning, if it's writing, if it's doing gardening, it's going to take you twice as long to teach somebody else how to do it. Probably, I am sure that you can rebuild a Hemi engine a lot faster than trying to train me to do it. Right. But your job is to train others to do Hemi repair in the local church. And how much time do we work to do that? And so it's, we know that this is hard work, so we applaud them, we cheer them. When we, people are being discipled who are growing in this manner, and we're shining by applauding how followers of Jesus pour themselves as a sacrificial gift to build up somebody's faith. Paul has these words. It's exact, exhausting toil to be able to do that. And then when this idea of poured out. If you're going to pour something out, and the object is in their faith, not you. It's not about them, but it's in their faith, right? You're trying to cheerlead somebody else growing in their faith. And Paul says, I want you to pour this out into others. Pour it out. Ryan, what's in there? Water. Okay. Now, I am going to pour out the water. I want it back. You laugh. But how many of us want to pour into people wanting something in return? The image of pouring out into others is what Paul's talking about. The end of the sacrifice system in the Old Testament, which I don't have time to go through right now, but this is the image. Pouring out for the Lord, literally a drink offering was, hey, this is really good, high-quality stuff. We're going to pour it out to God. What do you get in return? All to God. Pouring your life into somebody else so the contents of you are being poured into the development of their faith. All for what? All rejoice. The disciplers and those doing the discipling, those working together to do all these facets of ministry, what connects them both? All of you rejoice. What is the rejoicing part? Saying, my goodness, look what God's doing. Because if it was left up to me, I couldn't move the couch. 
We've looked at Jesus' example, and we've looked at Paul saying, here's now what I want you to do as you interact with these people. It's thick stuff. It's quite the run-on sentence. So fortunately, Paul gives us a great illustration. Be light and darkness. How dark, if it's super, super dark, how, light, how much light needs to be emitted for you to be able to see it? Very little. Very little. If our world is that dark and that twisted. I recently had an older gentleman says, hey, what do, you, what do you think now with this marriage stuff just being as horrible as it is? I said, hey, Liv, are you married? He said, yeah. I said, then love your wife like crazy and you be a light. I don't want to be defined by what I'm against. I want to be defined by what I'm for. Live with your wife in such a way as just one example of how to shine a light in a twisted generation in which we live so your light shines. Obedience and action will be this shiningness. This shining of us working with one another, for each other, with others, people, mind, at a, the, the highest value for us. But Paul gives us more examples. Look at Timothy in verse 19. Timothy's example. Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Timothy's example. Look at Timothy. Paul and Timothy, if you look at the letters Paul writes, clear through your New Testament, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Timothy. It was the young guy that was in Paul's hip pocket the entire time he's out, a lot of the time he's out on his missionary journeys. Tim. Paul's currently in jail, in house arrest, and he's writing to this letter, and he says, hey, I want to send my very special dude. I want to send Timothy to the Philippians. Why? Because he wants to know how they, are, how they are doing and wants to be inspired with confident hope in knowing about them. How is Paul going to know how the Philippians are doing by sending number one guy? Go check him out. For what purpose? So Paul can be confident in knowing how they are doing. He just wants to get a checkup on them. Paul's heart, therefore, longs for people. Don't miss that. He's willing to send his number one guy to some people about people for people. But they're ministry partners in action. Timothy is Paul's close, longtime friend, liked mind partner. He's like a kindred spirit. They're a unified comrade. They shared life together. Discipleship is not showing up for a one-hour meeting on a Wednesday night and saying, here's then how you disciple somebody. How would Paul disciple Timothy? Right there in his hip pocket and took him right along with him. They share a unity based upon their kindred spirit. Of course, they're in this together to serve Jesus. They're ministry partners in detail because they have a shared love for people. But look at also, they have shared trials. It's 
so much that their relationship's like a father and son. And when you serve Jesus in these times, and Paul and Timothy, remember when we studied about Thessalonica this morning, though they got run up out of town, run up out of town, put in jail, prison, put in jail, prison, you know, beaten and all that stuff. Tim's right there watching this stuff. And who does Paul leave behind in Thessalonica? Timothy. And when Paul says, look, verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. What's he talking about? You know Tim's proven worth. You know his character. How do you know people's character? It isn't sitting in a cubicle and isolating them from the world. Where do you develop character? Out there in the world, interacting with people and in crazy circumstances. They had a lot of them. Character comes through trials, and that gives onlookers the opportunity to look and say, if that guy is discipling that guy, that lady is discipling that lady, how do they handle going through this rough period of time? Oh, I'll watch that. So the Philippians have seen Timothy go through this, and he assumes that they know, hey, you know Timothy's proven worth, his character. But ministry means going. Like This is so impressive. He's sitting, Paul's sitting in jail. His number one guy is sitting there with him and taking care of his needs. Who does he want to send? I would have sent the fourth-string quarterback. I go check on the Philippians. Who's he, who does he want to send first? And what does meeting people's needs look like? Paul giving up his comfort of having this guy with him who has shared the same scars. He says, I'm going to set aside my interest to take care of me, and I want to send Tim. Paul was willing to see, send him out to see the Philippians. Even in ministry, with great ministry partners, we have to set aside what appears best for us and make everything about the benefit of others. And look, Paul was willing to go himself someday. Ministry means going away. It was, it's hard to explain. The guy was, could have been more comfortable sitting in his prison cell, but imagine this guy who's done all these missionary journeys, he's stuck in this prison cell, doesn't know how the Philippians are going, so he wants to send Tim. He said, oh, ugh, I got to go, got to go, and I got to go, and I got to go. Okay, I'll send Tim. But then he's like, maybe it's not the best time to send Tim. I got to see how things are going with here, with me. But his intent is going. His intent is sending. His intent isn't just keeping the, his comfort zone around him and his little area as, as comfortable as possible. So he says, I'm going to send Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25, the example of Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus. Again, they're ministry partners. Look at the words Paul uses for this guy. Brother, fellow worker, 
fellow soldier. This guy is a comrade in arms. These two guys were tight. They're both unified because of their concern for people. Epaphroditus longed for them. Why? Because he was in extreme anguish that they heard that he was sick. He heard that they heard that he was sick, and he's worried about them. Do you see how other-focused that is? Somebody is sick. They're worried that somebody doesn't know about it because they're concerned about their sickness. Okay, Epaphroditus is sick, point of death. He hears that they hear that he is sick. He's more concerned about them knowing that he's sick than him being sick. Oh, this is complicated. If you track it with me, nod your head or I'll, I'll do it again. It's so other-oriented that we can't grasp this. We find out that people are ill, so we're worried about them being ill. Epaphroditus says, yeah, I was really sick, but those people were so concerned about my sickness, Paul, I need to get there to encourage them. Now, on top of this, Paul and his fellow comrade, Epaphroditus, was they're, they're together there, and he got sick. And look at Paul's words. Indeed, he was ill, in verse 27, near the point of death. But God had mercy on him. Okay, God took care of Epaphroditus, had mercy on him. Now look, Paul says, least, and not only him, but me also, least I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. What's Paul saying there? God showed mercy. How did, Paul show, how did God show mercy on Paul? By showing mercy to Epaphroditus. God took care of Paul's needs by taking care of Epaphroditus. And Paul's like, if I, this guy would have died, I would have lost my right arm. God, thank you so very much for taking care of me because you took care of them. See how other focused this is? It's woven through here like Gore-Tex, like bulletproof fiber. It's so thick. Each phrase is connected with each other in so intricate ways. I'm trying to unravel for you just to get a glimpse of how God wants us to work with other people. And these examples of these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Ministry means going. Due to both of them having concerns about other people, Paul was not only willing, but eager to send Epaphroditus. Paul knew that in sending Epaphroditus, the people would rejoice in just seeing the guy. Paul knew that in sending Epaphroditus, Paul would be freed of the anxiety of knowing how these people were doing because Epaphroditus was there. And it also cost something. He says to the people, imagine the Philippians to get this letter, and he says, hey, receive this guy with open arms. Take care of him. Give him high honor. Literally treat him as precious. You can see from Paul's point of view where he considered this guy incredibly precious. So he's writing this letter, and he says, whoever receives him down in Philippi, uh, Philippi 
Receive him with wide open arms, precious. Many believe that Epaphroditus is the letter carrier for this book. So now he's better, he's not going to die, and so Paul's comforted by that, and what's the first thing he does? Okay, I'm going to send this guy to you. He's going to bring this letter, and when he gets there, I want you to receive him with wide open arms and just hold on to him like he's precious. Why is he precious? Look what God has done through Epaphroditus in the life of Paul to reach people to send this letter that we're studying today. You are directly connected to the obedience, the example of Epaphroditus. I'm bringing the dots as close as I can together. The reason why we're reading this book is God who enables the, through the Holy Spirit the formation of his word as truth worked through people to write it and a man to carry the letter and the letter be recorded in your scriptures. So this morning, look at the obedience of Paul and saying, hey, I'm going to set my comfort aside and I'm going to send this guy. Epaphroditus, and I'm going to send him to you, and there's a cost associated with that on Paul's side and on their side. What is the cost on their side? Wide open. How many of us receive what God is doing with wide open arms and saying, thank you, Lord, that is precious. Look at verse 30, chapter 2. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ. Look up. Everybody look at me. Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ. Who's he working for? I'm going to walk you through this. I know it's going to seem remedial and you're going to be frustrated with me, but there's a purpose for this. Okay. Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your, the Philippian service, to me. Epaphroditus nearly died doing work for Jesus, for Jesus Christ. What was his work for Jesus Christ? By serving Paul on the behalf of the Philippians. That's what I'm telling you, this is so interwoven, it's so thick, I'm trying to unravel it for you. Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Jesus, which was serving Paul for the Philippians. The Philippians' hands and feet of loving on Paul was Epaphroditus, which nearly cost him his life. Paul is like, this guy is so precious. And by the way, he's serving you by serving me. All for Christ. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to serve Jesus on my terms when he calls me to do it, and I don't want it to be involved with anybody else. No, that is nowhere near here in the text. Serving others means serving for Jesus, and it might cost us something, a lot, or maybe a ton for Jesus, but that means serving into other people's lives. It's not about you. This last sentence is so complicated, and I wish Paul would have wrote it in a nice, easier way, and I'm trying to break it down for you. But he nearly died serving Jesus by serving Paul for the Philippians. All for the work of Jesus. God loves and cares for people. His followers reflect that when they're obedient to him. We covered that early. God loves coming alongside and firing up the furnace of desire and then the effort of reaching the goal of equipping disciples who make disciples. God recorded two case studies for us this morning, Timothy and Epaphroditus. 
We're a long-standing ministry team united in a common goal of serving people and by sending people out. It wasn't about keeping everything comfortable at missionary headquarters. But seeing needs, obediently following Jesus to meet that need without expecting anything in return. So we must be united in active obedience. That is a compact statement. One another. What will be your proactive obedience for somebody else in the local church? Remember, God stokes your fire. God wants to come in behind you and say, you've got a desire to serve here in the local church. God's like, oh, I can't believe it. I want to empower them. Then be that case study for somebody else to watch. You see where Timothy did these three steps? You see where Epaphroditus did these steps? So in our local body, for one another, for each other, what will be this week? Your way of proactively following what God is calling you to do. Remember, God wants to stoke that fire and he's giving you the desire and the energy to be able to do it. Then at the end of the week, who will be the one watching you who says, there's a case study I want to follow? Our community, Ocala, what will be our proactive obedience? God is the one stoking our fire. And what will be our case study for the community at large who doesn't know Grace Church of Ocala? It's that weird-looking building on the way down Sharps Ferry Road that people ride by or drive by and don't recognize it. It's the people that they'll see that's different not the architecture. And these, these blessing bags will be a case study for people to say they are doing something in the community. Now, as we go into our community, it isn't like, you know, you know them uh, t-shirt launcher things that they do at the stadiums? We're definitely not doing that. You know, get two miles off from a homeless guy and shoot a blessing bag and hit him with it. We could make one, make a potato gun, but a blessing bag gun. No, we're going to be that case study in our community that said, here is a blessing bag. My name is Todd. I would like to give this to you. Can I pray for you? That's it. Just leave it at that. Don't do the awkwardness thing. We'll work on that when we get together. But we are going to do something proactive in our community, and I'm really excited that that illustrates that God stoked some fires last week. And we like to get to up to 25. And remember, also, I'm going to do the weird preacher thing and ask for money. Because the Bibles that we're putting inside these, the pamphlets we're going to put inside these, are going to cost money. These bags have cost everybody in here something to put together that is donated to that. And our participation numbers are really, really excited. I'm just I'm sorry that you're getting this end of it where I'm really excited. And you're like, what's he talking about? I'll be more than happy to explain it to you later. But look what God has done in a short amount of time to put these together. Look what God is going to do when we step out go into our community to do this together. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.